0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner, and this week on the show, we have the current and reigning PDRA Extreme Pro Stock Champion, Chris Powers. Chris, what's going on?
1: Oh, not too much. Just taking it easy here over the winter.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the winter break, right? It's never an off-season, is it?
1: Nope, nope. Just getting everything ready for... 2022
0: yeah you know coming off a a championship there is absolutely no rest for the wicked especially in extreme pro stock because y'all uh y'all are pretty rough on each other out there it's a pretty tight class
1: yeah it's definitely a tight class and we got a brand new car that we've had, got a few laps on so we're uh we're going to work that new car in and make sure it's as fast or faster than the other one.
0: Oh, oh that'll be something interesting we can uh, definitely talk about a little bit later because i've never uh, talked to someone that's shaking down one of those cars before and that's a that's got to be a, a completely different experience than your uh, your normal race car right
1: yep correct
0: now i kind of wanted to get into with you what got you to where you are because I, I was reading up on you and there was a passage i i kind of read that it, it talked about you know when when you stepped up into the world of extreme pro stock and that's not something you just usually jump into so kind of what led you to that point to be an extreme pro stock you know what's your racing history man uh,
1: i mean i started out racing uh street cars into bugs we ran those for you know all through the 80s and 90s and i drove one of them up until 2003 or 4 and then uh moved into a dragster and raced that up until uh 17 and then we got an opportunity to kind of jump into a pro stock and it seemed like you know something we could probably make an attempt at and try and um so we put a small deal together to go out and you know just just try to qualify the car and that was pretty much the starting goal was just to make the field
0: yeah it's you got to start out small with something like that it's not something you could just go out and think you're gonna set the world on fire is it
1: well that's what they all say but we ended up winning the first race ever in the car and it was our eighth lap down the racetrack was in the final against Kerry Gofor, so it was pretty cool
0: oh wow okay that's uh that's definitely one way to make a, a big impression especially against someone like Kerry. you dominated the class for a while
1: Yep, yep. So it was pretty wild to have an opportunity. And it's funny because the crew chief that powered him to championships is the guy that's under the hood of my car, and um, it actually all worked out great, you know, and it gave us a new breath of air for the seasons after that to, to get where we are.
0: Oh, wow, that that's kind of wild, a, a very uh, Macbethian kind of twist there that they're the person that was, you know, getting you taken care of after the fact.
1: Yep. Yep, so it was special, and uh, me and Dean were good friends, and it, it kind of worked out, and he told me he had the perfect fit for our crew that I'd get along great with, and and me and Chuck got together, and it just took off from there, just a good blend.
0: And that's something that's got to be really important with all these cars, because it's I, I think out of any of like the heads-up style cars, anything with pro stock after or before the name. There's a lot that really goes into these cars to make them behave, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. It's not just a driver. You know, it's a tuner or a driver, track conditions. And, I mean, everything's got to be right to make them, you know, quick runs. Anybody can go out and make, you know, a shady run. But to go out and put up big numbers and be competitive, it, it takes everybody you know, putting a hand in.
0: Yeah. And that, that's the cool thing. I've kind of, I've learned to have a lot of respect for, you know, the NHRA version of pro stock or the mountain motor stuff is just how, how finely tuned these cars really are. And the 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 edge of the sword that you have to walk on to make that perfect run.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first year in the car, you know, with Rob helping me, um, the car was a handful. It was, we used up the racetracks and, it kind of worked out for me because I was kind of a little bit loony behind the wheel to begin with. So there was really no intimidation factor. But, uh, you know, once we settled down and got Chuck on board, the car went, you know, five, six hundreds quicker. And, and we really laid down some big laps.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. You see you ran a dragster, then you jump in behind the wheel of one of these things. What was that transition like to go from, a you know, a pipe rack with an engine to, a, you know, something you got to rip a lot of gears in?
1: I mean, I was used to the speed with the dragster running six twenties at the, you know, the speed and stuff. So it, that really didn't phase me. The hardest thing with the pro stock was, uh, you know, just being patient on the shifts and you can't see anything out of the car. And, and that's kind of what I struggled with right when I got in was not being able to see and not knowing where, you know, to go. And the car was already all over the place. And, um, I just got some tips on, you know, from some old pro mod guys that live up here by me to you know, just look out the windows and don't worry what's looking out the windshield and just look and see where the walls and things are and that's kind of how I raced the car for most of the first season was just look, using the doors.
0: Just just trying to keep it between the pipes and make sure, you know, everything yeah. was uh, working?
1: Yep, you know, it's a different view. The dragster, you see everything clear, even if the car's off the ground with the wheels up, but that Pro Stock car's, you know, when they come off the ground and they're moving around, the only thing you can do is just look for that concrete barrier and just kind of get a judgment of how close you can run the car over there and keep the thing running but the pdra has got a really good track prep and that definitely contributed to you know getting that car down that track and keeping it safe and you know shiny side up well
0: yeah and i'm sure you uh you also trying to adjust the fact that you had a a hood scoop that was the size of a small ocean vessel to try to look around to is a little bit uh, different right
1: Yep, yep, that was tough, and the hood's just come up a little bit too far on them cars up over the windshield, so it it makes it tough to, to see out of them cars for sure.
0: Yeah, it's funny, I've talked to racers, you know, one of the more notable ones was uh, Tom Bailey that mentioned, the, you know, going from driving from a flat hood turbo car to a screw-blown car, that took a little bit of adjusting cause you just, you're not used to having this thing there and you have to basically, you probably had to completely change how you approach the tree and what you did. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You had to learn how to, you know, remove yourself in the car and move around and lean to the side and, you know, and then try to rock yourself back quick, right. When you drop the pedals, you know, so you could see the tree and then be ready for the one, two shift. And so it took a little bit of getting used to, but, um, I mean, I slid in pretty quick. It, it seemed to work out pretty good, but, uh, Definitely a fairy tale story. The beginning of the first time out.
0: You know, you're know, speaking of dropping, dropping the clutch on one of those cars. Th- that's probably one of the coolest things I like about pro stock. Is you know you are ripping those gears. Do you remember what it was like the first time you got to do that and feel that thing hook and book?
1: Yeah, I mean definitely when the first time I dropped that paddle and uh, it's it's the patience for the one two. You know most people think it's an instant hit, but when you drop that thing and it slings you in the seat. And then you pull that lever and the wheels come up even higher off the ground. And the one, two, it's, it's a pretty incredible feeling behind the wheel.
0: Yeah, because it's, you know, it's direct action there. There's no uh, converter playing the, the in-between roll. Every time you grab a gear, it's, you know, it, it's wanting to, to really rock and roll.
1: Yep, yep. Gear-to-gear clash, and, and you know it. There's no slippage in there.
0: No. And the other thing I find interesting, too, and I want to ask you this. What was it difficult trying to learn how to do a burnout, one of those cars, because I've seen newer pro stock drivers sometimes struggle with that because it's definitely a little bit of an art trying to get that down.
1: No, I mean, when I raced the bug back in the day, I mean, it's a whole nother atmosphere with the four speed. It was in that car, but you know, I learned then to, you know, kind of just eat, get the RPMs a little bit, up in there and ease the clutch out and just get the tire turning. So that kind of worked out. They were all worried that, you know, I was going to stall it. And I did it first. I'm like, man, I hope I don't stall this car on a burnout. But it worked out good. I I kind of just got up into it and, you know, got the RPMs up and and eased the clutch out and got it turning and then released the clutch the rest of the way instead of just dumping it and, you know, taking a chance of stalling it.
0: it. It's funny you compare it to race with race, you know, clutches and bugs, because I've got to see a few really fast bugs race when I was out in a vegas for the super street car nationals and you know Corey mcclennathan was on the show that's you know what they they were big into vw racing back in the day and that's that's a whole different scene man those guys i dig those cars what what was that like racing r- racing that scene
1: uh, i mean i had a, a carbureted car and then i went the turbos and the car went six o's and nines in the quarter so that's a handful on a short wheelbase car you God. know when you're like 18 19 years old and Um, I mean, I about put the car on its lid a couple of times and the turbo, that thing, it's straight in the air looking at the sky all the way into third gear in them cars. So it's a, it's an insane ride. So I learned early on to kind of driving stupid stuff and driving like a nut job and at some of these small racetracks back home and where they got guardrails still, you know, so it was, uh, it was interesting to, to learn that way. But I think, you know, all that really helped. I'm just slid into the pro stock.
0: I'm just trying to picture making a nine second hit in a bug because those things, like you said, there's not a lot of wheelbase to them and they, they're, they're kind of skittish. They'll, they'll make some big moves in a hurry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do. They got, I mean, it's, you know, the old, uh, swing axle bugs, the wheels can actually just kick out on that thing going down the racetrack and they'll just barrel roll. So there's a lot going on in them cars, but, uh, you know I, that's kind of where I started at with that my dad raced them through the 80s and we built everything from the ground up all the engines the trainees. so at a young age I learned how to get involved in all that stuff and learn how to you know build engines when I was 8 to 10 years old
0: so so that's something i think that with, with drivers especially that when you had get your hands dirty like that that probably gives you a lot better, I guess, you know, overall understanding how a car works and what it needs to do because you've been elbows deep in a car before.
1: Yeah, I mean, it helps a lot, you know, especially driving. You can translate information back. I mean, as soon as, you know, when I'm going down that track, I'm relaying information back instantly so we're ready, you know, with whether the clutch is light or, you know, too much or, you know, whatever. There's a noise here there. So it really helps out being somebody that's worked on the cars, and, and then when you got somebody like Chuck you know, behind you that's a racer himself, but tuning, it, I mean, it's perfect. It's a perfect combination for success.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's – you hit the nail on the head talking about that, and it's, it's hard for, I guess, people that don't race that level to understand how important it is to be able to relay – That information and being able to put it into words that, you know, someone like a crew chief isn't in the car. So they need to understand what it's doing so they can make adjustments, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly. And it makes it easier on him. And, you know, then he just has to figure out how I'm going to drive each day, you know, and, you know, whether it's a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, I seem to drive different each day. And, um, He's just got to learn, you know, how I go and then everything's perfect.
0: He's sending you, you links for things to read about being consistent, consistency in life, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I got a lot going on Thursday, Friday, I'm still running a company and then Saturday I kind of calm down. So it works out good. Eliminations are in them days. And that's kind of when I relax in and, and he knows he can put the kitchen sink in the car and he knows I'll get it done.
0: Yeah. And like you said, that plays a big role to it. I think as well as from the tuner standpoint is being able to know what, you know, what your, what, what your driver, where his headspace is at so you don't give him something that he isn't ready for. Yep. Now with these, these pro stock cars, from your experience what's it been like kind of trying to learn how to make the adjustments on these cars and make them do what they do you know i guess can you put into words how technically challenging these cars are
1: i mean they're really challenging i mean you know you a lot of shocks you you know you're constantly uh you know getting adjustments on the shocks the tracks are all changing by temperature the tires the four link i mean there's a lot of moving components in these cars. I mean, with the clutch, you know, every run you're coming back and pulling the clutch out, surfacing it and you're changing weights. And uh, there's just so much going on with, you know, ride height and moving weights. And it's incredible to watch, you know, Chuck and Rob go to work on that car and how much stuff is really involved to make really good runs. You know, if if you're just going to be a mid backpack car you know you don't have to do as much but when when you want to run up front and win i mean he's constantly working both of them and you know we'll be the next pair to go and he'll pull the front end off that car he'll go out and see something and he's changing something there, crawling under the car quick i mean it's just incredible how much work really goes into this type of car
0: yeah that's the that's the cool thing i guess the racing geek in me likes I mean, like i'm trying to think how you think is that you've every change that he makes throughout the car that has to affect another part of the car so you have to you know you make one small change in the middle you got to still go hit the two outliers on the bell curve on the rest of the car to to make sure everything lines up
1: yeah yeah it is i mean you throw a little weight on the front here a little weight on the tail and uh you know and then he's reaching in there and adjusting rpms and you know, I don't get excited until he reaches in there at the last second. I see him turn up the RPM. I'm like, oh, shit, we're going to be on a good run. You know, <laughs> it's exciting to see that when he leans in there. I'm like, oh, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's cool to be a part of it and have the opportunity to even be able to do it.
0: Yeah. And I, I could only imagine that you, you really can't try to probably think through what he's doing you just have to put the trust out there and know that you didn't stay calm inside the car and knowing that he's going to make the adjustments you need to make
1: yep that's for sure And, and when he came on board that was the biggest thing is I just told him look this is your deal you know regardless whether I own it or not this is your car your car to do whatever you want all my trust is in you and I'm never. I'm not going to second guess any of it. You just do what you guys want to do, and and I'll get in and and wheel the car.
0: See now that statement right there is. I'm going to call that a championship statement because that's what a good driver and a team knows that you don't have someone second guessing the car chief. You let them do their deal and figure it out.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly. And and that I think that's why you know it's worked out so well and. And uh, we've had such good success as you just – got to believe in the guy, you know. And, and I have all the trust in the world with him. So I let him do whatever he wants. It's it's his show, and I'm just the, the guy that gets to wheel the car down that racetrack.
0: Now, what's something that might surprise our listeners as far as, like, a big change that you make on these cars? Like, something that you, you have to play with constantly that affects the performance? Is it is it something that clutch the shocks? What's that one thing you know that, like – when you're toying with it, that's that's the big boy button that you gotta adjust with.
1: Well, the clutch is a big, big, big part of the setup in these cars. I mean, uh, you know, if you threw an automatic with a converter in it, this car would go down that racetrack all the time. You know, it'd be every run. You just go down with no issue. But when you got that stick in there, and you're making clutch adjustments, and you know, if he's moving things around in there at the clutch, the shift light comes on at a different point. You know, it might come on a little earlier, a little later it really changes the performance of the car where you could you know go out there and you know and get decent air and go 410 or you could go out and run 401 or 402 so it's like clutch adjustments changing you know 2 300 horsepower in there whether it's right or wrong
0: yeah and it, i'm sure it probably plays with you know in 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 light of the track conditions you know where your power curve is and power management as well right
1: Yep, yep. The way the lockup is when the clutch comes in, whether, you know, if it comes in too quick, you're gonna go into heavy tire shake and if you're too late, you just run through the clutch and then it sounds like you're going down the track with an automatic. See, I, I learned a lot
0: I'm not gonna say a lot, but I got a good lesson in clutch related stuff when actually when I talked to uh, Will Smith and the Harada guys about, you know, kind of how one of those injected nitro cars work and listen to Dave talk about those clutches in those cars, it really kind of drives the point home you're making about how sensitive those cars are and it's like this i picture clutch guys sometimes wearing robes and like chanting around the clutches and doing black magic to get everything right because it's it seems like an art more than a science sometimes
1: yeah yeah that's for sure and you know and and i get pretty involved in there like i'm the one that redoes all the clutch work when we come back after the run and you know that you count on everybody stepping up to do it right because if you just make one mistake in there when you put that thing back in you're going to pay for it when you roll that car through the beam yeah and
0: that's again what you know you you it's so funny it's to see these cars and like the conditions and you say the clutch and the horsepower and like it might be really good air but if that clutch is not right if everything isn't lined up you know the suspension isn't there you know, these pro stock cars, they'll start shake, rattle, and rolling with the tires in a, a spot that you're not expecting, and that will automatically scrub a run.
1: Yep, yep, that's for sure. So, that's definitely a big part of it, and, um, you know, that's something that some people just forget about is that third pedal, but, yeah, that's that's everything in that car to, to make a good run or a bad run.
0: Now, speaking of making runs, you you won the championship, and you've already you've been close before what's what goes into a championship run for an extreme pro stock team you know it's it's got to be a little bit different than what you know a, a power adder team goes through because you're at the mercy of mother nature so you've got a lot of factors to deal with
1: yeah i mean in 19 you know we were close we finished number two and you know i i thought for sure we would lock it up back then and um get it done but it's consistency it's everything it's the guys on the crew and you know when you're leaving the line you know whether you tilt that light red or green I mean the the lights mean the world I mean it you know if you're dead late you're probably going to be in the trailer but you know sometimes when you got a real bad fast hot rod you know you can be a little late on the tree and you know hopefully you got performance at the other end but I've really strived myself to uh, chop that tree down and, and leave first and and then have the smoke on the other end just to, you know, pour it out on them and, and just end it. But, uh, you know, sometimes you go the other way and it don't work out. So, and after 19 with four, four or five red lights, you know, you beat yourself up. And, you know, 20 came around and that season was already just a mess. And we were in a redevelopment phase with engines and really working on stuff. So, 20 definitely wasn't going to be our year. So, we came back in 21. And, um, we had everything lined up, ready to go. And then of course, sunny passes and then determination just set in and, um, focus just became the center of everything. And we just logged every lap. I mean, we tried to get that car into every final at every race to, uh, just to show that we have what it takes and we have the performance under the hood. And we just needed to keep me consistent and relaxed in the car. And, and with Chuck, that's what really helped because of a driver like him, you know, we sat down and discussed what he's seen. I was making mistakes when I rolled in and stage that was causing me to, you know, try to, you know, double one, two, three red and, and something we just had to change and kind of keep me from leaning that far down on a tree and move me back, you know, as a team 20 player. And and it showed this year that, you know, we won a lot of rounds just by, by doing that and you know, and uh, that's what did it. That was the difference between being a champ or a chump. It, it's interesting
0: you talk about where you're placing the car and the beams with these, because it's not like you can, you know, roll a little bit in a little bit out on the box because, you know, your, your left foot is the determining factor for this. What kind of led you guys to start figuring to play with that? Where, where you're putting the car and the beams to help? Because that's, again, that, you know, from bracket racers point of view, that's another consistency factor.
1: Yeah, man, that was the problem. You know, I drove the car like I was racing my other cars in the past, and and it worked out. You know, my first year I chopped that tree down on everybody. You know, I left first on almost every single car I raced, and uh, you know it worked. So I continued to go my path. But you know, there you had a delay box, and you could you could tweak the box to accommodate. You know, you're changing, and in this car you can't. It's up. It's the left foot. So. Um, he noticed where the mistakes were that when I was going into stage that I always tried to play the inch game going in. And, um, you know, he noticed that and he told me what he wanted done and, and I did it. And well, we won the first race right out of the box again. So we continued down that path, trying it his way and his way worked better than the way that I thought was right. So it, it worked out great.
0: Did, did winning that first race really kind of set the table for your season for you guys to kind of get that taste of success right off the bat?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a long time. 2020 20 was a tough year for us, and um, we've always come out strong at the first race with a galat, either winning or fi- in the finals. And to get that, you know, monkey off the back right away, right out of the gate, and the focus and the drive and, you know, um, taking out Johnny right in the semis, and just pouring the coals to them, I knew right there that, you know, we had good equipment and we had what it took. And um, that set the stage. It was an emotional deal with all that going on. and uh, But I really knew the championship was on its way. We, you know, when we got to Norwalk and MIR, I kind of knew then that, you know, this is ours to lose at this rate. We just got to stay on on point
0: you know that, that was the next question I was going to ask you is you know every championship run no matter what sport you're doing there's that defining moment in the season where you know that it's like this is going to be ours this is what we need you know we just got to finish the deal what was that defining moment do you remember what it was like when you just you could feel that that switch flip in the next gear?
1: yeah I mean when we left you know Norwalk with a, with the final and I knew that you know, I just gave it away there, and, and we had a shot to get our second win right there, quick. And um, we went to MIR, and, and I just calmed down again and, and did exactly what you know Chuck wanted me to do. And when we won at MIR, that was our worst track, and just the the emotion of p- pulling it off at a place that has whipped us, um, I knew right there that you know there the rest of them are going to have a hard time stopping us that. You know, we had the best team. We may not have been on the poles, but that wasn't our goal. Our goal was to go out and, you know, take that car to the final and go rounds, you know. And and when you believe in yourself that, you know, you're a champion caliber driver and a team, you know, it it makes it easier when you got all that confidence.
0: And that right there is something that's a lot of people don't understand when you're chasing a championship is that confidence and that momentum. When you hit that – you know, you, you've been down that road before. You know what it's like when you're struggling, but it's a different feeling when you don't feel lost out there, isn't it? It, it, it makes you race
1: better. Yeah, it does, you know, and, and I tried never to do the points thing. I'm all, I used to be a points counter, and so were the guys on my team, some of the other guys that aren't with us no more. And uh, I tried to never look at any of that stuff. And, you know, me and Chuck discussed that, look, you just keep doing what you're doing, and the points will shake out, and nobody can catch you. So I kept my eye on that three-second zone all year to try to, to accomplish that. And uh, I never got bogged down, you know, even even when we got the galat and everybody's like, oh, man, like, these these guys are out. I knew we were good, you know, and we were working on some stuff there and messing with the new car at the race before, and it, it gave that opportunity for guys to catch back up. But I knew we had what it took, and, and we just wanted to try some new stuff
0: now you you mentioned you know it was an emotional deal for you guys with with the passing of Sonny how much did that really mean for you to be able to win that championship when it was all said and done you know with with his power under the hood and his name on the car
1: it's like a Cinderella story I mean to come out and win that first race and his his daughter and son and Son-in-law and all them right there supporting Sonny's and, and all the races we won and all the final rounds. I mean, words could never express, you know, what he's done for us. I mean, they're like a family to us, you know, Francis and all them. And to to get that win for Sonny's to show what he has done his whole career for racing, I mean, over any engine build or anything, I, I don't think people have any idea what that man has has done for racing in a whole, I mean, for all racing and uh, how much he meant to everybody. And that meant the world to finish it off that way and, and have his daughter right there at the finals in Virginia to, to give that to them.
0: And, and that's a special moment. I think what makes it even more special again, is you, we, we talked about this, this earlier, you know, you, you had a solid year, but man, that, the top half of the PDRA Extreme Pro Stock field, man, it's brutal. There are some guys up there that, you know, i watch on the live feed or when I'm at events. And it's just, you literally never know when someone's going to pull a low four zero out in conditions. You don't expect it during eliminations. Like, you constantly have to be on your game to be in the running at any of those events.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to always go up there and and give everything you got. And, you know, uh, Chuck, he's he's been good with just he wants that car to go down the track. We we try not to race any competitor when we go up. That's his logic. He races the racetrack. It doesn't matter who's in that other lane. And and that's his style of racing. And and it works, you know, because if if you go up there and you, you race a guy that typically isn't a top 10 player, you normally get loaded up. So if you just go up there and race the track and and give the car everything it can possibly get in that lane, um, it tends to work out good for you.
0: And the other thing I like about the PDRA Pro Stock class, Extreme Pro Stock, is the uh, the, the characters that are there. I mean, it's it, it's a comedy show with, you know, some of those pits you go into and you, you never know who's going to be talking to who and whatnot, you know, and you guys have a lot of fun doing it. But who are your favorite racers when you get to line them up and just boxing them up and send them home for the weekend. Do you have any favorites that you're just like, it gives you that extra bit of satisfaction to, to beat them?
1: I mean, you definitely want to, you know, beat any of your competition, but I would have to say, uh, I would have to say putting Johnny in the trailer. It's probably my biggest goal every time I unload that car and roll beside him.
0: Oh, I, I,
1: could... I, I would say he's the one that you want to put out. Cause he's the young gun coming up, the tree chopping kid. And, you know, uh, low-budget team, as they tell everybody. And, you know, we all got the same equipment. Everybody's got good power and good stuff. And putting him out is like, you know, you don't want to just go out and just beat him on the finish line. You want to make sure you take him out on both ends. And, you know, uh that's an accomplishment to, you know, at my age compared to a young gun that, you know, comes out there. So. I would say him, but you know I like all the racers, and you want to beat them all. You want to beat all your competition, but at the end of the day, there's a few that I can sit and chat with and get along with. But it's few and far at this rate. You lose a lot of buddies when you move up. You know, well, only at the top.
0: And I think that that kind of it's important to have that certain level of rivalries at events because the fans can get invested. They can, you know. They might be a Pacino fan and, you know, they're razzing their buddy. That's a powers fan and back and forth. And I think that's kind of, it's good to hear the drivers not give a politically correct answer and say, yes, when I line up against this guy, I want to grind him to dust and blow him away. That's what I like to hear that. that yeah. I like that.
1: Yep. That's for sure. And, you know, we showed that at the first race at the when we uh, rolled up there in the semis beside him and, you know, they they dumped that car in there and put that light on to, to rush us to get us out of our game. And, you know, I figure, ah, oh, he's a young guy. Let's just let his ass sit there for a while and let him figure out what mistake he just made by going in first that quick. So, you know, it's – but, you know, you all do it. Everybody goes back and forth. But, uh, yeah, it's for sure, you know. And it's a Ford, and, it, you know, you got the Mustang versus the Camaro. And it would be cool if PDRA and some of the other ones would – use that and talk that up and, and, and build the rivalries, you know, to get fans involved, to get more people to come out. And I think that would be something cool.
0: Now, are, are you close Are you friends with Jason Lee? Who? The Jason Lee, a pro boost race from the PD area and a tuner at PTP racing.
1: Um, I know him. I've talked to him. Yep.
0: Okay. So, so you might be able to appreciate this, this note about that. You know, Jason's a colorful guy. I've known him for a while, race with him and Patrick, and I'm going to say this in the most politically correct way that I can outside of the way Jason would say it, is I've heard him say to someone, I'm going to beat you so bad you're going to want to sell your stuff. That right there, that's some smack talk. And that's the kind of stuff, again, that those rivalries are based on that that gets people fired up.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, I was like that. You know, in 19 I got a little cocky. And then uh, 2020 we went through a lot of stuff with ourselves and stuff like that so I kind of toned down and a lot of people you know were getting mad and they were calling my crew chief and trying to get him stirred up saying man your guy's saying this your guy's saying that so when I come out for 2021 I was quiet and didn't say a word to any of my competitors and you know I knew who all the haters were and and I was okay with it I just dumped that heat into my fuel tank and made it work
0: walk softly carry a big stick right
1: that's exactly what I did and you know I just I stayed quiet the whole year and even up till now like people are like man what happened to that guy he's so quiet but you know I'm getting older and more humble and you know I'm, I'm cool with the the robberies doing it but some of them just take it personal and they can't you know but it's that northern thing I don't know I guess I'm more central south and Pennsylvania more So
0: <laughs> Now, you mentioned you got some fresh pipe and you guys are trying to work that car in. You know, again, it it circles back to these cars and how temperamental they are. How do you even begin to try to dial a, you know, extreme pro stock car in? Because, you know, every car, every chassis is going to be different. You know, do you guys, how do you approach that process?
1: Well, we start off after we pick it up. Um, We put Chuck under the car for about four days and go over that whole car. And make sure that thing is square, straight, because you don't trust anybody when they build, put the car together and weld it. So you go over everything with a fine tooth comb and make sure it's right. And then, uh, you know, we took it out to the track, made a couple easy runs, and then we worked through the electronics and everything else, making sure that's right. And uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, just getting the car prepared. You know, you can you can always go out and just run in the back, you know, with some new pipes, but you know, that's not our goal. Our goal was to, to be on top. So it it takes a lot. You're, you're constantly moving things and the new car is not the same as the other one. It's, it's totally different. Um, but, uh, we've had good, you know, some good numbers with it already that are promising. And, um, hopefully when we get it out here in Florida in a, a month, we'll, uh, we'll put a bunch of laps on it and make sure it's ready for the first race. So we're gonna, we're gonna go wear out some engines and, get this thing up the speed
0: and that's the only way you can do it it's interesting you talk about going to making sure you, I, I guess it, it ties into how you know sensitive these cars are i'm, I'm used to helping you know, guys with cars with power adders where it's basically you know as long as it's in the ballpark ish and it's going to go straight you're just trying to smash it with hammers whereas you know an na pro stock car you guys are trying to extract every ounce out of that car and optimize it to make sure it's doing what it's got to do and that requires a lot of precision
1: yeah because you don't have a power header to help you you know in a power header car you can leave soft and then you know if you got boost or whatever you can turn that thing up once you get out there you know eight ten tenths you know eight eight tenths into the run you can turn on the wick and then you know if it's nitrous you can just keep turning on stages and you know and you can you can go faster you know and you can you you know cheat the track a little bit, but with the naturally aspirated, whatever you give up out of the bottom, you lose it on the back. So you're trying to get every single thing you can out of the bottom, you know, on the ragged edge of blowing the tire off to get that car to go.
0: Yeah. And that, that again is what, it just amazes me about what you guys do with these cars and being able to extract that performance out of it. And you mentioned it earlier that you're, you're, you're chasing that elusive three second pass. You know, I've talked to some other extreme pro stock racers, and they've all kind of echoed the same thing. And I wanted to get your take on it, that it's just, that's going to be have to be literally the perfect run in the right conditions to be able to hit that number. Is that kind of what you're thinking on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you need the power. And I, I think there's only a handful of cars out there that got the power to do it. Um, but yeah, you, you need perfect conditions, but you got to be able to drive it, you know, and you need the perfect setup in the car with, you know, the right amount of clutch, you know, right amount of weight, um, that, you know, the car don't climb up on the ring gear and, and, and you know, drive to the wall and you got to lift. I mean, it takes a lot and we were close. I mean, we went that four flat with a seven or something there in 19 and, uh, we definitely had the car this in 21 to do it again, but we ended up, you know, uh, pulling our best bullet out. And sliding it under the bench and we wanted to work on, I know no nobody else will do it, but we wanted to experiment for 2022 and uh, we wanted to work on some other engine stuff that we had that we were working on and see if it was going to work and go the right direction or not. It's That's really hard for me to get out and test, so we turned in the last race into a test session with a brand new bullet with no runs and uh, it was the right move. It worked out. We learned a lot with engine stuff that but we knew that engine didn't have the smoke to go in the threes. But our strongest bullet that did it before in worse conditions probably would have just put icing on the cake on that run. And uh, But John left the window open, so now we'll strap the the best bullet we got back under the hood and see if the conditions come back again
0: well yeah it's the condition is it it's interesting you talk about switching the engines like that too because again it plays into the fact that a lot of times that you have to play almost like four-dimensional chess in this class to you know yeah you know you've got a fast engine but let's start working on what we need to be fast in the years to come was that kind of the mindset that you're going with that setup
1: yeah yeah that's why we tried it we were trying to work on some new car setup with the old car knowing that that car goes a to b a to b a to b B. so that was the car that we tried to use the motor in instead of trying to work it in the new car and and get even even further behind in the new setup we decided that let's just put it in this car we know this car can go down the racetrack and uh it put us behind you know we were behind the eight ball coming in i mean round one was like pins and needles you know and uh you just didn't know what you were going to get I know Chuck had all the confidence in the world and he wasn't worried about nothing but you know as a driver you you know I made the decision to, to to change motors before we went to the race and I knew it that it's all on me at this rate that I hope I didn't make the bad choice to think ahead for power and uh you know it, it worked out their motors didn't don't work for what we need and they're gone you know we had five engines and Two of them we unloaded and sent them down the road to somebody else, and they're competitive engines. They just aren't what we're looking for. We want to go to the next page, and uh, they're not going to take us there. See, and to me,
0: that's what's fascinating about how high-level programs work is that when you have that ability, when you have all the pieces on the board that you need to be able to think that far ahead, that's how you you build multiple championship runs and stay at the front. Like you talked about, you, you want to be at the front. You don't want to be a back marker that, you know, in a class like this and at the highest levels of heads up drag racing, you constantly have to be looking for that new edge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cars got good power, you know, Jr. And, uh, I mean, he's fast, he's on the pole all the time and, you know, but it takes more than that, you know, and we know we have, you know all the ingredients but that's one thing that we wanted to work on more is to to be on the pole more often than we have been and and just kind of be you know everything you know be able to win the race sit on the pole and set the records and so we knew to accomplish that you sometimes you got to go backwards and we did it i mean we risk a championship to go back to try to find to move forward
0: it, it literally comes down you know you, you look at like kind of like what john force did for so many years where they were constantly just developing a monkey in with stuff you know you had austin austin Coyle and that whole crew were like force just turned them loose and said just do what you got to do to develop for the future and that's essentially what you guys are kind of trying to do is to have that ability to win multiple championships
1: yeah Yeah, you know, the the first one's really tough. The second one, everybody's going to be looking for you. So, you know, everybody's going to make it even harder than it was the first time. So, but, uh, yeah, you got to do that. And, you know, Forrest and them knew that that's the way to move forward. Uh, If you want to win, you know, 8, 10, 12 championships, you can't do it unless uh, you're always working towards the future. And so we went that path. But we've got some new special stuff coming out this year with – a motor that sonny was working on us before he passed and uh it uh it looks really promising and we're hoping it'll be what we needed to move to the next level
0: and going off of that you know looking into your your magical crystal ball where do you see the extreme pro stock field kind of going with you know, in the future, the PDRA, you know, with rules packages and, you know, all these other factors, do you see the class starting to grow more and more players coming in or, you know, performances going up?
1: I mean, I, there's more, I see more cars coming out. There's a few new guys. I know that were coming out and some younger guys, had, you know, got another car and things like that that are going to add. Um, I don't know. I'm hoping it works out. I think I, I honestly believe the PDRA has a good a good schedule it's an all in the kind of the same neck of the woods it's uh more affordable for racers and i think with everything going on you know you you have to make it affordable i think the nhra is kind of a you know cool deal in itself but i just don't know if you're going to get all the the cars to participate you know you, you're, you're always gonna you're always gonna split that field and now with two places to go and It'd be nice to see 20, 24 cars show up at a PDRA race. I know that's never going to happen, but that would be something great to just to fulfill a 16 car fill with no buy runs would be nice.
0: And that that's one thing I was going to ask you about, too, is, you know, comparing Mountain Motors Pro Stock to, you know, the, the small Cube NHRA stuff. Is it more you know racing is expensive no matter what but is it easier more cost effective to do the mountain motor pro stock stuff versus the the nhra deal i've never honestly known i would just be interested to get your you know a racers take on that
1: yeah i mean i've I've, we've worked on the numbers to go do some 500 inch stuff and uh it's a lot more expensive you know and unless you're obviously you're not going to build your own motors you're going to you know, go to the top teams, you know, either, you know, when we were looking at doing it, we were looking at, you know, putting something together with gray motorsports and um, it's expensive to lease the engines, you know, you're, you're going to have to either go to, you know, now it would be either elite or, you know, um, KB racing to get horsepower that, you know, you can win. Nobody wants to show up and be a back car, but um, it's really expensive. I mean, it's, it's twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a race to, to get one of them motors to strap in your car and, you know, and then you got all the travel expense and all the crew. And I mean, the mountain motor is the way to go. I mean, you know, I think if they could promote it better, it'd be a better class, you know, you know, the cars are faster. They're closer to a pro mod. People understand it more. And, um, you know, I just think the 500 inch went, went backwards, you know, when they went to the fuel injection, they went in reverse. They just went the wrong way.
0: It's an interesting take on that. And it, it it doesn't surprise me at all that the expense was more, but I didn't realize it was going to be that much more. But I think that again, if people want to go fast NA racing, that it sounds like a uh, big cubic inch stuff is the uh, it's the way to go.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's definitely the way to go. And a nice thing about our class is, you know, like you can run carburetors, you can run like we're a fuel injected car ourselves, and you know, there's nothing wrong with it. They're equal. I mean, you can see by watching the cars and looking at the data that you know, uh, the rule packages for us are are identical. And, you know, I think if NHRA would have used that playbook that IHRA had with fuel injection by maybe instead of, you know, going to the RAM induction stuff and going to more of a split type setup fuel injection like we did, I think they would have kept more racers involved. But they're constantly changing and costing teams more money. And, you know, and most teams run it as a business. So some are just going to keep folding up and leaving. You know, and I think that's the biggest problem with that class over there.
0: It makes it unappetizing. You know, rule changes cost money no matter what. They never save anybody money.
1: Nope. I agree.
0: Now, I like to have fun with my guests and always ask kind of interesting and different questions, you know, different scenario-based questions. I've used time machines, unlimited bank accounts, all kinds of stuff. And my question to you, Chris, is that you have been transported to an alternate universe where you can't race a pro stock car, what are you going to race? What's going to be your class? In this case, you know, you can race anything you want. You've got the open checkbook. What are you going to strap into to race?
1: Uh, I have been looking into doing some top fuel racing. Ooh. I just kind of keep it under my own lid, but that's something that I, it's one thing left on my checkbook to attempt other than jumping out of a plane. uh, that's one thing i want to do yet and uh i don't want to screw us up with the pro stock but that is something that i want to i'm going to make an attempt and try
0: it's interesting that you say you want to do that sort of like jumping out of a plane and you got to look at both scenarios and be like it's kind of a push on which one's safer
1: (laughs) yeah i'm not sure but being that i came from a dragster you know i I, my heart was always there but i love the pro stock it's the greatest time of my life racing this car and, and all the great people but the top fuel is just definitely one thing I want to I want to experience and get in it and and give it a whirl and see where it leads.
0: That would be an interesting change to go from the uh the precision ice ballet of a pro stalker to the heavy metal whiskey drinking top fueler. That would be a kick kick to the shorts for sure.
1: Yep, definitely.
0: That'd be awesome. That's uh that'd be cool. I I I'd, I'd, I'd like to be a fly on the wall the first time that you get to a mash the loud pedal, one of those angry beasts, and then hold on for dear life.
1: Yeah, yeah, my problem is I don't lift. (laughs) So it could be uh, exciting.
0: Exciting, and then the other problem is is that can get very expensive in a nitro car in a hurry.
1: Yeah, I got the wife convinced already that I can, you know, our last son's not going to tip his hat to college, so I get to spend his money, so it's uh, going to work out great.
0: Nice. I, I like that line of thinking. Well, Chris, it's been awesome having you on the show, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to channel their inner John Force and thank who they need to thank and tell people where they can learn about, you know, their racing program and everything they got to go on. So uh, the floor is your, my friend. Uh, Talk about what you need to talk about.
1: Well, you can always follow us on Facebook or uh, Instagram on uh, Powers Extreme Motorsports, but, you know, hopefully you'll come out to a race. Um, We always got an open pit. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is family, no matter who you are. A fan, a kid, an adult, you're always welcome to come hang out with us. we would never turn anybody away. I got to thank, you know, my wife and kids for all the help they've done over the, you know, the years with racing and my son, you know, with everything he's done, stepping up on the car and helping out a lot. Uh, Chuck and Rob, you know, the, the guys that tune this hot rod and all the thanks in the world goes out to Sonny's racing and ATI performance and JC and his mom um they're a huge part of helping us i know they're an automatic builder but people have no idea um what they contribute to racing and uh, they mean a lot but um sonny's kelly francis junior ward uh all the guys and gals in our shop this championship is for you guys so you all deserved it you earned it and you built the smoke to to take everybody out all year long and we're going to try to continue it here in 22 it's awesome
0: to hear and uh definitely appreciate you coming on the show and uh probably catch up with you at uh, norwalk in 2022
1: sounds great man i appreciate it thank you very much